The subject for the evening talk is uh, the depth of awareness. We notice within ourselves that there can be a particular area and focus of uh, interest. And this may vary quite considerably from one person to another. And it can often be rather difficult to know and understand why or how something generates an interest for us. And yet the circumstances come together and we find that a considerable number of uh, the hours of our life do enter into a particular area or field of interest. We concentrate on that particular area And we might well find, of course, that we give a considerable degree of our very life to that which holds a strong and abiding interest for us. And so we might say, in everyday conventional way, that there is an awareness of something. It's touched one in a particular way. One's focused on it and generated an interest, an awareness, and followed it through and pursued it. There are plenty of situations, of course, where we have some nominal degree of awareness. We say to ourselves and each other, well, I'm really aware of how useful this is, whatever it is, and we have an interest to follow it through, but we never actually make the leap or the step from that which we have some awareness of, some appreciation of, but don't seem to have the energy or the focus or the motivation or whatever else is required for that awareness to grow and develop and sustain itself. We could call that a kind of superficial awareness, a nominal appreciation. And as we know, that could be with regard to things which are so-called good for us, yet still just an awareness of no action to follow. And then other (coughs) aspects, there's an awareness, and that might happen, particularly if we're thinking of work, simply because at some earlier point in our life, we found that we could do a particular task a bit better than the other ones. And because we seem to be a bit better in one area, we followed it through. We got some recognition from it, maybe through teachers, or through exams, or through uh, recognition from oneself. And one said to oneself, I can do this, I'll follow it through. And that's awareness. And our focus, an area of interest, can carry itself quite some way. But that area which we, of interest and focus in our life can change either through outer, outer circumstances. We live in a period of uh, unusual insecurity and as it's often said in the secular world, the insecurity applies to the blue-collar workers, the white-collar workers and the pink-collar workers. <laughs> 
I didn't know them until recently, they were called pink-collar workers. But So, it's a world of insecurity, and one of the favourite euphemisms of the contemporary world that we live in is downsizing, which is a kind of um, uh, a way of saying, we don't want you, you're out. And all of that generates more uncertainty and insecurity in the climate that we live in. We have situations where people who are self-employed, often doing important and valuable work for the health and welfare of the individual and others, and finding that there are fewer and fewer clients in a situation where um, emotional well-being, mental health and physical well-being matters less than making ends meet. So, things which some of us would regard as a necessity get to be regarded in economic climates as a luxury. And then people self-employed, doing useful work, finally can't find the work, don't have the client. So when there's a change going on in the outer, it does affect the kind of awareness that we have. And instead of awareness of continuity and security, the awareness can suddenly change to discontinuity and insecurity. And that contrast can be quite dramatic. And it's not that one has changed one iota inside of oneself, simply the outer circumstances have changed. So our awareness and the presence of our uh, of awareness isn't just related to our inner life, but also related to what's going on around us. Quite often, when we take a step, we have an awareness of something, we want to follow it through. It can mean, as was pointed out in a small group today, it can mean that from that point of awareness, things have to change. Change from within. And that might express itself in the movement away from the old and into something new. And that transition from the old to the new can be sudden and dramatic. And in some cases, even though all the thought says something needs to change, I need to let go of this, or him, (laughs) or her, or the city, or whatever the holding pattern is all about, and I need to start up something fresh. Common thought, especially in our kind of circles. And we can be in the mind state which drags it out until retirement. Wonderful idea. Oh, I have an awareness of my potential, awareness of what I could do, or what I could offer, or what I could generate, or what I could create, or what I could be. The only thing that stops me is this, 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 and this. It's called children for some people. It's called money for others. It's called... uh, debt for others, it's called um, childhood patterns 
for others, it's called addictions for others, or whatever. And each and every one of them do have to be recognized and acknowledged. But how easy all that which is called the past, which is holding us from potential, from a deepening awareness, becomes the reason not to act. And we have tremendous conviction that this, whatever it is, does stop me. And we give it tremendous authority over our lives. We believe in what stops me with uh, great faith. We have put new age language to it. Well, it's my destiny, really. I shouldn't go against my karma. The popular one. It's um, 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 my fate. Um, I chose to be born in a family like this. <laughs> Whatever it might be. And it's all a little bit of extra reasoning, a little bit of extra religiosity, so to speak, to maintain the status quo of the past. To give the past an authority which we won't give anywhere else. And so the depth of our awareness is related to the past and the strong holding pattern which goes along with it. And as much as we hold to what was, we become fixated in it. So we drag out the fixation in a few months, in a few years, in the next lifetime, because this lifetime won't be short enough to drag it out, whatever. And all is giving support, because the core issue is, I'm afraid of change. That's the core. I'm afraid to change and holding seems more familiar rather than uh, change. In all of that, the idea of the solidity of the continuity actually isn't that true. It really isn't that true. And there are plenty of moments, even in the extraordinarily neurotic, obsessive, addictive mind, which has a break from it. One might think, well, the break only comes in deep sleep, or, uh, or whatever, but actually the mind can't sustain the intensity of those addictive patterns. And the moments when it's not occurring, is quite often overlooked and the view of oneself is I am an addictive personality I am a personality trapped in my past um, I am this and I always will be this and all of that picture and image as I say, it arises there can be a lot of conviction about the viewpoint but actually there are plenty of moments when there's no relevance to it. Plenty of moments 
when the pattern, the addiction, the identification, the obsessing isn't at work, and those moments when it's not at work need our recognition, our acknowledgement, and our appreciation if we are to find some depth of awareness. So, as the old teaching said, as the Buddha himself said, very uh, wisely, and he did say a few wise things, he said, one is aware of what is present, and he said, one is aware of what is absent. And the experience of, and the recognition of the absence of, in this case, the addiction, the power of the past, the problems of one's day-to-day life, the experience of the, and recognition of the absence of matter a great deal, because they clearly, experientially, disturb the belief system. And one can't say, I am an addictive personality. One can't say, I am an obsessive person. One can't, can't say, I am trapped in my karma, or whatever, because one knows the absence of, and the experience of, and the recognition of that matters a great deal, because in the recognition of the absence of, we can go deep into the depths of awareness. The trouble is, With the experience of the absence of, we constantly talk of it in failure terms. In the, as we were saying earlier on today in the inquiry, I am not good enough. I need to do more. I have to prove myself. I am not really committed. And our absence of is only all those absence of which is a put-down and a negative judgment towards ourselves, is not saying anything about who we are. It's a pattern talking. That's all. It's a pattern in the mind which is talking. And so our talking, in the absence of, I am not good enough, I can't do this right, I'm not ready for this, I can't handle... This, this is too much for me. All of those patterns there become, through the identification with them, the idea of this, of this is who I am. We are not, thank God, a pattern. Yet somehow the repetition of the same old thing keeps coming up and we think, that is who I am. And on that we have our misery, our anguish, our disappointment, our grief, our sorrow, our suffering, our confusion, our despair, thinking that who I am is a pattern of what is missing, of what is not good enough, or whatever. With awareness and the interest towards, one of the ways that that might occur is one has an interest in a particular field or subject matter. And what can be useful and common in that, of course, is 
the recognition that the place of experience and knowledge together play in deepening our awareness. The place of experience and knowledge play to deepen our awareness. And in the latter, that is knowledge, I'm going to give you a small example of what I, what I mean here. I remember talking some years ago to um, a person, and she said to me, she's at university, and I asked her what she was studying. And she said she was studying French. She's at an English university. It's not desperately far to go to France. And she was studying at the university. And I couldn't quite work it out, the logic. And I said, surely to really know French, wouldn't it be better, quicker, more effective, and more significant to go and live in France? Wasn't that, you know, that was my kind of logic, that the actual experience of would enhance and increase her knowledge and understanding and fluency in the language because she would be obliged to have to speak French morning, noon and night, read French morning, noon and night. And in those days, I think they may have changed a little bit, but in those days, the French people told me made a point of not speaking English to the English. And, well, why not? And quite often the English make a point of not speaking to the English anyway, but that's another story. So, sometimes the knowledge begins to matter and it can be at the expense of experience. And she said, well, if I go to France, it won't be the same because I want to work in a corporation and I've got to have a qualification for it and I can get that through the university and I can't get it through living in France. So I only go to France during the summer holidays, etc. etc. All good reasons or rationalizations, however you think about it. So sometimes we say knowledge over and above experience. And for some areas, that might be important. But it would be important from standpoint here to look at what is the relationship of experience to knowledge. Think about anything that you wish to know further about. What's the relationship of experience to knowledge? And experience, to me, tends to give far more authenticity and in fact stimulate interest in knowledge dramatically. Whatever the field and subject. Whatever it is. Just in the last uh, couple of years, when I've um, been to places I haven't been to before, I've got, at the moment I've got uh, the West Bank, Palestine, um, Burma, etc. And just through going there, even though I made a point of reading about those places, trying to have some intellectual familiarity uh, with them, 
had some preparation before arriving there. But, as you know too, nothing compares with experience. The installation within of the awareness of a situation increased manyfold for me in both places as a result of being there. And I was only in both places five days. It's not like I was there for yonks. So, somehow experience running through eyes, ears, nose, tongue and touch through the senses, an experience of that awakens something which gives greater interest to the input of knowledge. The depth of awareness through experience intensifies the increase in knowledge. Useful knowledge, why? Because it's coming straight to experience. One's got an experience that it relates to. I was just speaking to a person and got forgot the uh, what's that uh, extraordinary painting that's in the uh, National Art Gallery of that woman's face? What's that? Mona Lisa. Thank you, sir, yeah, for your great knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> and a friend of mine was going through a very, very difficult period in her life. Quite confused, she said, and just didn't know what to do or where to turn. And she needed to to get away from the city where she was. And she came and went to the National Art Gallery. And saw the face of the Mona Lisa And something in the face, she said, and in the eyes, touched her very, very deeply. She couldn't explain why or what it was, but it informed her in the experience in a way that nothing else could. And something changed inside of her about her feeling for life. Now these things that you and I can't you know, explain, she couldn't explain, but she said she just looked at that face, it was totally unexpected, it made an impact, it ran very, very deep, and she walked out of the gallery a changed person. A whole new sense of life, respect, sensitivity, warmth, the deep things that mattered. There was a depth of awareness. She said that recently, after many years, she decided to go back and once again behold the face of the Mona Lisa. She said there was still something there which was mysterious and magical, mystical in the face and the way that it touched her. Not that didn't have that kind of turning around of her consciousness as it did, I think it was 15 or 20 years ago. And one wonders sometimes, what is it in the depth of the heart and being where there's a meeting point, it runs very deep, there's a depth of awareness, it shifts the consciousness, 
in an unexpected and dramatic way and one knows something has turned a corner has been turned and this was to behold the face of a painting in these kind of circles one of the aspects of it which has got its plus and its minus in terms of depth of awareness is that the knowledge aspect is extraordinarily appealing for some people and when one hears that in 1995 as an example that there were 450 new books in the English language published on Buddhism which is why some of those who are writing books in and related to Buddhism start getting irritated because the Buddhist magazines are not reviewing their books understandably when they're inundated with so many uh, books to read and how many of us can report that as an outcome of meditation and awareness and practice and experience when one goes to read a book on some similar theme it has so much more significance how many times have people said to me having engaged in meditation in communication in looking at experiences on a retreat it's really helped me to understand what the Buddha said what Sri Nidhsagadatta said what Krishnamurti said what Ramana Maharshi said and what other saints and sages past and present uh, have said as a result of some kind of awareness which is directly embracing experience directly connected and interested in experience both within and without and the, the Buddha commented once he said I think I've got it pretty well well it's perfect here he said those who only study the sutras that means the text spiritual text and do not practice cannot be said to be a follower of the Dharma not a follower of mine he wasn't a, a guru waller thank God but those who practice they can be said to be a follower of the Dharma but those who just study those who just go to text cannot be said to be a follower of the Dharma this was of course I think completely forgotten by huge numbers of monks and that kind of attraction for the books for knowledge at the expense of first hand experience and you and I hopefully should be able to know and see well and clearly who is speaking from their experience and who's got an intellectual understanding intellectual knowledge there's a different quality in the authority as we know having said that in the world of reading can make a very wonderful 
and invaluable contribution to the deepening of awareness. But the reading itself has to be a rather meditative, contemplative reading so that those deep themes can register very, very deeply. I just opened up today uh, um, a manuscript which a psychotherapist friend of mine uh, sent to me and it's um, an account I haven't uh, read the manuscript but it's an account of her personal experience in which a number of years ago she had a transformative experience and realised and, and she uses the language realised emptiness and that emptiness of independent separate existence the emptiness of the ego the emptiness of clinging and whatever and the impact of that has stayed steady with her through the years and I remember two or three years ago she and I are sitting and discussing and exploring this experience that she had and the outflow the out the outcome of it. That experience influenced her life dramatically, one of the consequences of course, being a psychotherapist, working with other people, and also the difficulty as well. How does I, whoever the I is, as one goes deeper into the depths of awareness, how does I speak about that which is not of I? I know things, it knows thoughts, it knows emotions, it knows body, it knows forms and shapes, it knows things in general. And the I, the self, the I, the me, is tied up and bound up with all of that. But suddenly, supposing something really shakes up the inner life, and that whole world which human beings have have agreed upon as being the truth of things no longer is the ultimate truth and one sees the emptiness of it and then one finds oneself in the conundrum not an unusual one of the I writing about the not I as she is attempting to do I I haven't read it and I'm curious to see how she handles the dilemma. With all credit to her for the exploration. So, these adepts of awareness, which is related to, as I said before, looking at the past, making changes in our life, taking risks, watching the drawn-out patterns which resist change there is a depth of awareness which comes through experience so that the field of knowledge does keep relating to experience I mean is it any wonder this motley bunch of politicians and corporate leaders have no deep connection with humanity with life with the environment, or what? Is it any wonder? School, university, or the office, politics, 
moving up the ladder on top of and at the expense of this is what we get. Is it any wonder that there is a significant siphoning and drying off of compassion for sub-Sahara Africa? Gradually, systematically, but decisively, funds being withdrawn for those who are in awful, awful uh, uh, suffering. A friend of mine, the Buddhist Peace Fellowship, working in the refugee camps there, just went through a nightmare uh, uh, situation uh, there. Why? Head. Theory. Knowledge. A world of self-deception and other deception. Why? Lack of real experience of life. So if we can say, okay, let me first put the focus, as the Buddha said, on first-hand experience of. Then let my knowledge contribute and feed to my experience of what's meaningful, of what's practical, of what's beneficial, of what's useful. And even if the knowledge seems to be more paramount, at least let the knowledge be whatever it is, for something which is insightful and beneficial. And that's quite clear. So then exploring a little bit further, and a little bit deeper, and I'll go further and deeper, of course, in next night or two on these themes, that if we make awareness paramount, related to what our experience is, see what the knowledge is which is helpful to transform experience, Bring those three together, awareness, experience, and knowledge, and all of that provides a tremendous catalyst for change. And when that change comes about, insightful and liberating, one in the uh, language of the teachings becomes a yani. J-N-A-N-I, it means a knowing one. One knows. Knows in that way which is insightful and freeing, liberating, and brings its own sweetness and joy in life. One is a knowing one. And it's not born out of the self of ego, of I and my, not used to build up um, arrogance and conceit, but it's a knowing born out of the depth of awareness. And that's essentially and fundamentally what we here are truly concerned with. And that might be in our time here, through the communication, through the silence. might be reflective moments. And we might need to be asking ourselves, where in normal circumstances does my awareness go? What do I find myself being most aware of? What's my relationship to that which I am aware of? What does all that inform me? What does all that tell me? What is to be realized there? What is to be known in that kind of insightful and freeing way? And all that is the 
the journey of discovery. And perhaps the most important journey that a human being could ever make. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings live with insight. May all beings abide with wisdom. So let's have a couple of silent minutes together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.